Welcome to episode seven of Breaking Down Business. Welcome to Breaking Down Business, a podcast produced on behalf of the Kent State College of Business Administration by adjunct marketing instructor and CEO of All Good Marketing, Christopher Barnett. In this series, we connect listeners to our experts who share the latest on high impact research and best practices in business. We bring relevant and timely business topics to you every other week. This is Breaking Down Business with your host, Chris Barnett. COVID-19 impacted how universities delivered courses for the second part of spring 2020 semester. Kent State successfully moved more than 9,000 course sections online, with more than 200 of those being in the College of Business Administration. While this mode of delivery is new for the college's undergraduate population, the college has been delivering graduate courses online for a number of years and is delivering the same quality educational experience to students. The college will continue taking care of business students regardless of how courses are delivered. Joining us today is Dr. Deborah Spake, Dean of the College of Business Administration and Professor of Marketing at Kent State University. She has served as President of the Mid-American Business Deans Association, Executive Director of the Society for Marketing Advances, and former Editorial Review Board member of the Journal of Business Research. Prior to her academic career, she was the Marketing Research Director of a publishing company and later worked for consulting firms specializing in marketing research and strategic planning. As Dean, Dr. Spake provides leadership and serves as the Principal Administrator of the Kent State College of Business Administration with responsibility for personnel, operations, budget, academic programs, and development. Welcome, Dean Spake. Oh, well, thank you for the opportunity. The past few months have been challenging for higher education as social distancing required a move to remote learning. What have been some of the biggest accomplishments for the College of Business during this time? Well, I think the biggest accomplishment is really one for the whole university. So we told students on a Wednesday that they would have to move to remote or online learning. And by that following Monday, the university had converted more than 9,000 course sections to remote learning or online format, which is a tremendous number, and they did it very successfully. For the College of Business, it was over 200 course sections. And again, they did it in three working days. Wow. So 200 course sections moved online in three working days. That is an accomplishment. The college has two instructional designers that we employ full-time, and a number of our faculty are already familiar with online learning. So it wasn't such a shift for them. They're accustomed to teaching in that format. And by having instructional designers permanently embedded within the college, they were able to assist the faculty in making that shift. So that's really how we were able to do it so quickly and professionally. The faculty anticipated to some degree that this might happen. Kent State has a campus in Florence, Italy. And so the coronavirus impacted Italy before it hit the United States. So we had to do this shift there first. And so as there began to be infection within the U.S., I think our domestic faculty understood that much like our Florence faculty had had to shift to remote learning, there might be the chance that they would have to do the same. Okay. 
What was happening in Kent State's Florence, Italy campus helped us prepare in the United States. Even so, the lead time was pretty short. I am impressed with how quickly our faculty pivoted to adopt a significantly different channel for teaching. Were there any other logistics in moving to web-based instruction? So there are. So we have an accounting faculty member, Dr. Wendy Teets, who has won, I think at this point, four or five national awards for innovation in the classroom, particularly around online learning. So Wendy already was teaching her course in three formats. You could take her course face-to-face. You could, at the same time that she was teaching face-to-face, tune in synchronously online. And then she recorded her lecture and posted it after so students could watch it asynchronously after the course was over. So she was, in effect, doing three different modalities simultaneously. Wendy has long been a professor who stood out in the college and helped her colleagues learn how to do these things. And so apart from the instructional designers whom we already employ, having faculty like Wendy who would step forward and do webinars for her colleagues, who would help them with technology and learning it very quickly, she's not alone. We have other faculty who uh, also are that proficient with technology, but to have peers who are that advanced and who can help their colleagues learn very quickly was certainly an advantage for the college. Well, I haven't had the opportunity to meet the instructional designers yet, but I have met Dr. Teets. In fact, she and I talked about her innovative teaching practices in episode three of the Breaking Down Business podcast. She's amazing. And to incorporate machine learning and data analytics in her course. Into accounting. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's like, wow, blows my mind. What what an amazing talent we have at the College of Business Administration, really, you know? Well, it really is. And as I said, Wendy is a good example. She's not alone. There are others. But in her profession in accounting, the American Accounting Association has had her and another faculty member, John Rose, teach others around the nation even this week to learn what they need to to effectively deliver online learning. In addition to that, even our accrediting agency, AACSB, highlighted some of her work. So uh, we're just very, very fortunate to have faculty of that caliber who can help their colleagues get up to speed very quickly. Yeah. You discussed in your recent newsletter the concept of agility management. What does that entail, and how has the college implemented this strategy? Well, I think this is a good case study in agility management. And the bottom line is, how quickly can you pivot when there's a change in the marketplace? And so to have an agile organization, whether you're in higher education or whether you're in a corporate setting, these days is really important. Markets change quickly. Situations change quickly. And to be able to adapt is an important skill for any of us. In our case, to be able, as I said before, to move all these courses and course sections from a face-to-face format to either remote learning or online that quickly is truly a testament to agility management. The fortunate thing was, though, because so many of the faculty have at least dipped their toe into online learning previously, whether they've taught a class in the summer that way or they've delivered a course in this format in a traditional fall or spring semester, many of our faculty have some experience with online learning already. What a lot of people don't necessarily know is that Kent State, if you looked at all of the public institutions in the nation, we're number 13 in online learning. So we have already the infrastructure to do that in place. 
the staff at the university, not only in the college, but university-wide to assist with that effort. So to have the people already in place to help with that, professionals who are skilled in online learning and instructional design, it's a huge advantage. Has it been helpful to have the experience of offering graduate courses online to draw from? In the last few years, we've transitioned a number of our graduate programs to have an online option. So we now deliver an online MBA, an online master's in business analytics, and then coming soon, an online master's in accounting. So that infrastructure was in place really to help with those graduate programs. Our faculty teach very often in both graduate and undergraduate courses. So while they might not have previously taught online at the undergrad level, they certainly have been doing it at the grad level. And so to have had that experience, I think, made the transition much easier for them than it otherwise might have been. Excellent. What are some of the positive accomplishments you've seen the college make during this time? Sure. One of the things that we've been able to to do very quickly is pivot in terms of study abroad education. So our college traditionally sends about 200 students to study abroad every year. We were preparing to do that over spring break to have some faculty-led courses go overseas. Obviously, we couldn't do that after we suspended face-to-face classes. And so we were able to work with our partners overseas, work with our faculty in Florence to deliver online education in a way that it was still very much international. So we worked with the companies in other parts of the world where our students would have been visiting face-to-face. And many of those companies agreed to continue to meet with them in a virtual setting. So the students were able to get some international experience, even though they never left home. Very good. And that is an accomplishment that has been pulled together in a very short amount of time and helped the students continue their education without without a hiccup. (laughs) It is. Well, and your class is a good example of that, where you've brought people together on a panel very quickly who weren't. I I suspect, not previously planning to speak to the cores. Correct, correct. Yeah, and, you know, my students as well were working on a project in the middle of a consulting project for the Greater Cleveland Food Bank when this happened. So, obviously, all of the primary research that they had to do, they had to pivot to secondary research. So, you know, brought in um, Karen McDonald to share with them all of the resources available through the library, the market research and all of this secondary research. And it opened their eyes to something that they would not have learned otherwise, that not only to adapt, but, you know, and pivot like that, but that there are other resources than just the one that you have in mind. So, yeah. Right. And while no one would have anticipated coronavirus or certainly have wanted it to happen, the reality is our students have, as you said, learned a lot about agility management and pivoting, even for themselves, where they very quickly had to adapt to a new format. It's not a bad skill to learn when you're entering the business world. Business is forever changing. And so to be able to move quickly and do so successfully is a skill that they'll be able to keep with them forever. Right. Absolutely. So it was a good, it was a good learning experience, you know, a learning experience for sure. It was. We've featured some of that in our newsletter. As I think you know, we have a in the finance department a student managed investment fund. Yes, yes. where students manage a uh, million dollars in assets. Fla- uh, Golden Flash Asset Management Group. That's it. Yeah, 
And so those students have been able to continue to manage those funds virtually. Previously, I don't think they would have thought of doing so in that way. But again, it's a testament to their skill set. And to be able to do that is a benefit to them as they enter the workforce. Great. Same that's, thing that's with our really sales students. Point. They've competed in in two national sales competitions virtually since we went online. Ah, that's great. Very cool. Uh, this time of year would normally host a pitch competition featuring entrepreneurship students who have started businesses and they're pitching for funding. We give away annually somewhere between $20,000 and $30,000 in startup funding for our students and they compete just like any other business would compete for funding. At, we were planning for this event. It's a large event in the college uh, when we were disrupted by COVID-19. Initially, we thought we would simply postpone the pitch until the fall or perhaps the spring. And as time went by, we realized that the students who were the finalists for the pitch were largely seniors who were graduating and that it might be unlikely that they could come back. So we very quickly, in a matter of just a few weeks, turned it into a virtual pitch. We had a nationwide panel of judges who had previously agreed to fly in for the pitch competition. They all agreed to do it in a virtual format. We were able to keep all of the same judges, some of whom were as far away as California, to judge the pitches. And we were able to do that successfully. Instead of having one event that everyone tuned into, we had the students record their pitches so that people could watch it over and over again and the judges would have more time to look at the concepts. Oh. And then over the course of a week, we allowed the public to vote. That voting was really feedback for the students and comments. It didn't factor into the judges scoring, but the judges submitted their scoring just as they would have if it had been live and a winner was announced last week. So it's those kinds of events that we have surprisingly been able to convert to a virtual setting much more easily than we thought we would have. Right. And I love that idea of recording the pitches. That might yeah. be something. Have you done that in the past or is that something you'd consider? It's always been very much like Shark Tank. So it's always been a live pitch in front of an audience. But because we couldn't bring the audience together and that was important, we felt for the pitch, we went to the recorded option so that people could engage and participate in the process and give the kind of feedback that students were accustomed to getting live. Um, and it also, for the judges, allowed them to view it over and over again. Typically, they talk amongst themselves during the live pitch. Rather than do that in a virtual setting, we felt that recording it would give them the chance to really look through the presentation materials and judge the pitch on their own and then come together as a group in a teleconference to compare their scores. Very cool. That is, yeah, that is really interesting. Sometimes you discover things by accident. You do. Well, when so. you're forced to, and then you discover it was either easier or better than you thought it would be. Kent State has continued its commitment that flashes take care of flashes during the COVID-19 pandemic. What are some of the ways the college has implemented this commitment? Sure. So it was something that we value and a concept that was actually in place before COVID-19, where the university has said now for some time that we take care of our students, we take them as they come on campus and then help them achieve their dreams. And so we take that commitment seriously. When the coronavirus hit, we certainly understood that while we were telling our students 
that they needed to leave the dorms and go back home, that there would be some students who just would not be able to do that. Either they were international students who, for whatever reason, would not be able to go back home. Maybe their country was on lockdown due to the coronavirus. Or they were students who didn't have a home that they could go back to. So we did not kick them out of the dorms. We made accommodations for them. We made sure there was social distancing to keep them safe. Although our dining halls were shut down, we continued to deliver takeout meals for these students. So that's a really wonderful example of Flashes Take Care of Flashes. We took care of the students, even though we were dealing with this circumstance, and made the best of it to help them get through the end of the semester successfully. There were a number of policies and procedures that were changed to take into account the fact that this was such a disruptive event for students and yet continue to educate them in a very high quality way and help them succeed through the end of the semester. Right, right. How about commencement? So that had to be a significant undertaking. Yeah, so that's obviously not college specific. It's for the whole university. But we also pivoted to an online format. So our president, President Dykin, recorded the same speech he would have given during commencement. Our provost, Provost Tankersley, also gave the same comments that she would have given during the ceremony. Rather than have one commencement speaker, each dean recorded a message for their college. And then the students' names were called out just as they would have been when they would have crossed the stage. The nice thing that we were able to do at Kent State is mail each of our graduating seniors a package ahead of time. So they had their cap, their tassel, any honors cords that they would have earned. The program had already been printed, so a copy of the program. And so they had this, in effect, graduation package that arrived in the mail a few days before. And then on the day that they would have graduated, they tuned in to this virtual commencement. Now, obviously, we would have loved to have been together with our students that day, but I thought it turned out very nicely, and families were able to sit together and watch this event. It turned out that more people tuned in through the links than we would have had in person had we done it that way. That's great. That really is cool. I uh, spoke with a student earlier today. She said during graduation, she walked across the living room and her little brother handed her the diploma. (laughs) I know. So my son was in the graduating class as well. He would have crossed the stage on Saturday. And so we went to campus at 7 a.m. that morning and took pictures on campus, just as we would have in cap and gown had it been during commencement. And we weren't alone. We've seen a number of photos posted where parents and and graduates did that, either a few days before commencement or the day of. As students prepare to return to college in the fall, whether it be in person or virtually, how are you reassuring them that they'll receive a quality education despite the uncertainty of course delivery? Well, we're still planning for a face-to-face delivery. So the university has a number of committees working on that now to determine how we can do that in an effective and safe way. And that's our hope and our plan. So we're hoping to be back on campus in the fall to do it in that way. We do recognize not everyone might be comfortable in the fall doing that. So we'll have, I believe, a couple of options for people. But we're hoping and planning to be back on campus come fall for face-to-face courses. So what kind of courses can business students expect to be available online should they choose to take online classes? 
So this summer is a good example. We're still delivering online courses over the summer term, which for us enrolls quite a number of students. And right now it's the exact same courses that they would have had face-to-face had they been there this summer. So as I said, because we've been able to easily pivot from face-to-face to online learning, the courses that we're offering actually have not really changed. It's simply the format. Okay. Excellent. So all of the courses that we offer. Right. Now you're the parent of a recent Kent State graduate. So you're familiar with the challenges that change has made for students. What kind of recommendations would you make to families and students who are either continuing their education at Kent State or entering Kent State for the first time here in the in the fall? Sure. So in my case, my son is continuing his education. He's going on to graduate school. That's what he was planning ahead of time anyway. So we just continue with that plan. As much as we can, we're trying to provide exactly the same experience that they would have had had we not had coronavirus. And certainly the courses are the same. As I've said before, our faculty are accustomed to teaching in multiple modalities. So whether we end up teaching face-to-face with taking into account safety measures, or whether we teach in a hybrid format or an online format, certainly we're prepared to do it. And the experience will be high quality regardless. Our plan for the moment is face-to-face. Okay. I hope so. Fingers crossed. So, you know, you said we're still trying to determine how we're going to operate moving forward. The same holds true for businesses. They're still determining how this is going to impact them in the long run. So do you have any predictions? Yes, certainly there's been a lot of comment about the degree to which the workforce, especially in corporations, will continue to use more technology. All of our staff and our faculty have moved to this format where we're doing conference calls all day, we're using technology that we didn't use previously, and we're becoming very comfortable with it. So I think that will continue in the the corporate workforce as well, where companies will begin to look at how efficient and how effective these methods have been. And perhaps people will have more opportunity to remote work if that's something that they choose to do. So true. I could see where there are some efficiencies and there are some cost savings in remote work. And there's also potentially some increased productivity. So we may not all just be running back to the office. Well, and I think previously, at least in in my case, I have an example from this morning where I was on a call at 8 a.m. with our campus in Florence. And while we did that periodically before, now it seems much more normal to jump on a conference call and do a video call with people in other parts of the world all at once. And so I think the comfort level with having meetings that way will increase. Um, I also think it opens up opportunities for our classes and our students, though, too, because I think students previously thought about studying abroad in only one way, getting on an airplane, flying to a place, and then visiting different companies there, where now, with so much more ability to do teleconferencing, I think we'll have opportunities to pull in international firms much more regularly than perhaps we did in the past into the classroom. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So the last question that I have is what lessons can business students learn from this COVID-19 experience? Well, I think the same thing all of us can learn, that we need to, the extent that we can, plan for the unexpected. I think had organizations 
been mindful that this could happen, it could have been that they could have planned in advance in ways that we think of as a crisis management plan. It certainly brings crisis management to home for students to understand why those kinds of plans are needed. And it forces corporations and higher ed to really think through, in the case of this kind of disruptive event, how do you react to it? I know that many universities, Kent State included, works on crisis management. But I think it's a real-world situation that students can learn from, the benefits of doing that in advance so that when something disruptive happens, you know what to do because change will happen. It's inevitable. Yeah. Yeah. Wise words. Well, thank you for your insight during this unique time, Dr. Spake. You've provided a lot of great information about how the college and the university continue to navigate these uncertain times. It's good to know our students are in very capable hands. Oh, well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. And we'll see you at the College of Business Administration. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for Breaking Down Business, brought to you by the Kent State College of Business Administration, offering 10 undergraduate majors, online and in-person MBA programs, and a comprehensive PhD program. Learn more about the many ways to pursue a business education at Kent State at kent.edu forward slash business.